my brother Al and myself, we are uh, colleagues, stand shoulder to shoulder, walk arm in arm, and act hand in hand. And uh, we are in full agreement on the subject that we uh, are supposed to touch upon this afternoon. I'm sorry he is not here. He is a teacher. He is effervescent in his teaching. I am an exhorter. I am effervescent in my exhortation. And that is the way God put us together. Um, let me tell you uh, that uh, I have worked on revival for about 40 years. And uh, some of it uh, was not always accepted. I will not be able to touch everything. It's impossible. I can only scratch the surface. I have an 89-page paper on revival, and if you put your name on the list there, I can send it to you electronically, and you can read it. Uh, that paper was written out of fullness of my heart, but I cannot go in depth in just an hour in everything, so I'll do the best I can. And let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to be with us. You tell us in your word that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can also insult the Holy Spirit. And we can simply neglect the Holy Spirit. And we plead with you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will fill us in our speaking, in our listening, and our responding, but ab above all, in taking action upon the Word of God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The great R.L. Dabney, in his book on uh, evangelical eloquence, said that he never preached a sermon that does not have a call to action. And most sermons are not that way. They're more contemplative. But James says you can know the word and you can take it in. You don't talk back. You don't become angry with it. And you still haven't arrived because you delude your heart until you do it. And so keep that in mind, my dear brothers and sisters. I have um, put something on the whiteboard here so that uh, you may be able to follow me a little bit more clearly. I can only touch upon the, the, the headlines, and so please write down your name on a piece of paper, and I'll send you the 89 pages, and uh, absorb it and take it in. Now, first of all, revival is personal, Isaiah 57. I revive the heart and the spirit of the lowly ones. It's also redemptive historical. You find it in Psalm 85, and you find it in the book of Habakkuk. Revive your work, O God. So it's personal and redemptive historical. Now, even if the redemptive historical revival is not present, it doesn't excuse us from not being revived personally. And we don't have to uh, bemoan the fact if it's not present redemptive historically, and then just uh, sit back. No, no, no. If we are lowly and we are contrite, then we can be revived in the midst of an anemic situation. 
Then, redemptive historically, there are two revivals in the Word of God. There is the little revival, according to Ezra, and that is the return from the exile. It used to be big, and then he saw that the people began to intermarry again, and that was the cause for the, for the exile in the first place. And now they go all, they go back, do it again. And then he says, will your anger now burn forever? Psalm 85 picks that up and says, revive us again. And in the context of Psalm 85, and you find it in the syllabus, it is the great revival. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you take a look at the history of rev revival thinking and revival teaching, you notice that um, Finney talked about the fact that you can revival in the present in a semi-Pelagian and Arminian fashion. Um, Murray says, no, it's not in the present, it is in the future. It is serendipitous. It comes, but very rarely. And I believe that the Bible says that revival doesn't come out of the present, doesn't come out of the future, it comes out of the past. The cross and the resurrection and the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, we are told by the Lord Jesus, wait until the Holy Spirit comes down and rivers of living water will flow forth from your innermost being. And that doesn't come from us in a semi-Pelagian fashion. It comes from God. It doesn't come from time to time, rarely, because it was never meant to turn into a trickle. There is a river that flows in the past, and that river is attained on the day of Pentecost. Then it must be retained, and the Apostle Paul goes back to the churches to reconfirm them. And if you miss it, it must be regained. Now, those are the introductory remarks that I would like to make. And uh, I would like to uh, underscore that again. Attained in Acts 1 through 12. Retained, the Apostle Paul in Acts goes back to all the churches to make sure that he confirms them. And then regained the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation when he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Now, it's very interesting that uh, many people have revitalization uh, conferences, and they say, we must uh, uh, repent and we must return to the height from which we have fallen. The problem is that often those revitalization programs address people who have never received being on the revival height in the first place. Now, that is a powerful statement. And if you have never been on the height in the first place, you cannot regain it. You've got to attain it. And that, of course, is powerful in the Church of Jesus. When you come into an anemic church situation and you have to tell the people, the people in Ephesus in Revelation 2 were there and they went down.
but you have never been on that level. And that, of course, is powerful. It's also controversial, and it's not always, uh, not always embraced as the way it should be. But in my estimation, that's what the Scripture says. Now, when I am going to share with you the marks of revival, I cannot touch upon all the individual aspects in just one hour. I would like to share with you what those 12 marks are, and then we can uh, touch upon some of the items. There's no doubt about it that revival flows forth from the cross and the resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is new covenantal because the apostle Peter says to the people, repent unto the forgiveness of sins and you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Where does he get that triad? He gets it from the new covenant. I'll take the heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh. I wash you of all your filth and I put the Holy Spirit within you. And the Bible says that the apostles have to wait, wait, wait. They said, don't go, don't go until the power comes from above because without the power, you're not, I am not able to accomplish anything. And that power was awesome, ladies and gentlemen. John the Baptist says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John 7 says, rivers of living water will flow forth from your innermost being. And then Romans tells us, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. I was preaching for four years, and I did not even see a trickle. And I recognized that I did not belong to Christ. I went on my knees, I repented for the first time. And it was definitely a change. Not no perfection, not by far was a change. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. It's not just the end of a logical deduction, I believe, and therefore I must have the Holy Spirit, Abraham Kuyper, no, no, no. As Ian Murray says, it is an experiential and activating reality. And that was an awesome statement. I know him personally, and I've talked to him about that. The only problem that I do have now that he believes it's serendipitous. It, it comes in the future, and it only comes occasionally. I believe that it was never meant to be occasional. It was meant to be continuous, because when the Holy Spirit comes and rivers of living water will flow forth from the innermost being, it is not meant to be reduced to a trickle at any time. So if there is no river, if there are no rivers... We have only ourselves to blame. If there are rivers, we have only got to think. Versus Finney. If there are no rivers, we have only ourselves to, to blame. Versus Murray. I believe that's what the scripture says in a very clear-cut fashion. Now in Acts 2 is an awesome occasion. The fearful Peter became powerful. The Holy Spirit began to convict 3,000 people. They entered into a church situation which is awesome when you read Acts 2, 42 through 47. Ladies and gentlemen, in Acts 2, 
We hear about the baptism of the Spirit. We hear about the gift of the Spirit. We hear about the filling of the Spirit. And later on, we also hear about the fullness of the Spirit. Until we define them properly, we are not going to see men walking like men. We only see them walking like trees. The baptism of the Spirit is a once and for all historical event never to be repeated. The tongues of fire are not repeated. A sound of a mighty wind are not repeated. And the tongues speaking in Acts 2 are not repeated either because everybody heard the message in their own language. So if there were 20 um, languages represented and they came from their own habitat, and uh, they said, I heard it in Dutch. No, I heard it in English. No, I heard it in uh, Vietnamese. No, I heard it in Japanese. No, I heard it in Chinese. No, I heard it in Russian. And it has never happened again. Never happened again. That is a unique experience to show that the gospel is worldwide. Now, the gift of the Spirit is a once-over-all personal event. Unless you repent, you never have the gift of the Spirit because you have never been forgiven in the first place. Repent under the forgiveness of sins and you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when people equate the gift and the baptism, they make a giant error. In the baptism of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is with us. In the gift of the Spirit, the Spirit is in us. And that's what Jesus said. And when you take a close look at the Old Testament, you notice that there is not one recorded instance where the Holy Spirit is presented as being in individuals as individuals. Now, of course, when there is, uh, when there is regeneration and justification and sanctification, the Holy Spirit somewhere was involved. I'm not saying there was no regeneration, justification, and sanctification. Of course not. But there's no recorded instance, except possibly two, when David says, don't take the Holy Spirit away from me, and Joshua, who was filled with the Spirit. But, you know, um, um, in the Old Testament, you only find the Spirit of God present with creation, with artists, artisans, the creation in Genesis 1, art artisans in the book of Exodus, and then with uh, the people of Israel as a nation in the book of, uh, of uh, Nehemiah, and then also with office bearers, elders, judges, kings, prophets. And because the Holy Spirit is not present recordedly, understand, you begin to understand why the Old Testament tells us that Israel is a desert, a dead sea, um, a cemetery, a dead sea. And when I was invited by my brother Al Baker to talk about the Holy Spirit many years ago, I went through the Old Testament and I came to that conclusion, and it was astounding. Without the Holy Spirit, Israel is a desert, and it killed Israel. Israel turned into a cemetery. It's dead. Buried. And Israel turned to a dead sea. It killed everybody else. 
I'm going to tell you something. That was one of the greatest moments in my understanding of Scripture. Without the Holy Spirit, I'm a desert. I'm a cemetery. I'm a dead sea. And when you take a look at the new, new covenant, regrettably I cannot go to details, you find in the Word of God that the new covenant is promised by the Father, it's produced by the Son, and it is transported by the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus says, it's better for you to leave, because there was no conviction of sin before the flood. There was very little conviction of sin in the Old Testament. There was very little conviction of sin in the Gospels. In other words, there was very little conviction of sin under the regime of the Father. There was very little conviction of sin under the regime of the Lord Jesus. And he said, now we're going to need the Holy Spirit to produce conviction of sin. And when the Holy Spirit came, power, Peter, conviction of sin, 3,000 people. Have I seen conviction of sin in my evangelistic labors? Yes. One of the greatest examples was the commanding general in the Ugandan army. Awesome. Have I seen enough of it? No. Do I regret that? Yes. Does it disturb me? Yes. But thankfully, the Lord Jesus says, when I leave, you're going to do greater things than I'm going to do. That is not holiness, that is not miracles, but it's conversions. And I remember in my early church, when I never was used by the Lord to bring anyone to the name of Jesus, I began to go on my knees for nine months. I pleaded, pleaded, give me one, give me one, give me one, give me one, give me one. And Lord, if you give me one, I'll ask you for number two. And the first one came, awesome. I got a trickle, more in Uganda, many of them. But ladies and gentlemen, the only way to do that is by the Holy Spirit. I asked Al, what were you going to talk about in revival? He said, I was going to focus on the Holy Spirit. He said, sir, if you are going to focus on the Holy Spirit, there's a lot more to focus on. I will emphasize that specifically as well this morning. The baptism, once and for all historical, gift, once and for all personal. If you don't have evidences of rivers of living water, you can wonder whether you really belong to the Lord Jesus Christ because that Paul says in Romans 8, and that was my, the verse of my conversion. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Filling with the Holy Spirit, it is a repeated event, both historical and personal. Repeated because every time you need new situations, you need a new infilling with the Spirit. Every time that you sin upon repentance, we need a new infilling of the Holy Spirit. And fullness of the Holy Spirit, only two men in the New Testament are called full of the Holy Spirit, and that is Stephen and Barnabas. And Stephen gave his property away, and Barnabas gave his life away. Somebody asked me, are you full of the Holy Spirit? He said, well, I'm a little older than you are. When did you start? Are you? And the answer was yes. I said, well, have you ever given your property away? He said, no. Have you ever given your life away? He said, no. He said, now, don't call, me, call yourself full of the Holy Spirit. And I mean that. And that's the tragedy which the Lord Jesus Christ points out in his letters to the seven churches. You're loveless. 
Ephesus. You are lifeless, Sardis. You are listless, Laodicea. It's his church. Three out of the seven. Trouble, trouble, trouble. So I believe it is all throughout the history of the church and the world that has never really been remedied across the board. When I asked um, a team of seven pastors with a, with a, who had a Bible study together, I said, well, I just read uh, Revelation 2 and 3. Is it possible that three of us already uh, are goners? And the man who led the meeting, he said, oh, that's baloney. Next question. Ladies and gentlemen, not baloney. The Lord Jesus says, if you're loveless, I move on. If you're lifeless, it's over. If you're listless, I'll spew you out. And then I heard a powerful evangelist preaching that in my church where I was a pastor. He said, evangelism is part of your sanctification. If you don't evangelize, you're, you're listless, and you can expect God to spit you out. Well, I tell you, that made an impact on me. It broke my heart. Half of the congregation became madder than hornets, and half of the congregation says, you're absolutely right. And then he said to me, you will never do it unless I take you out. So he took me out from door to door. And if he had not taken me out, I don't think I would have done it, you see, because I remember the first time I went out. I hope you are not home. You see, you're, you're, you're scared. You're, but that is why we need evangelists. But it's another matter to take the people out, all right? But here it is uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, there were four pluses. There was a quantitative plus. 3,000 people, all of a sudden. Two chapters later, 5,000 people. Two chapters later, multiple, multiple, multiplied. There must have been 25,000. And whenever revival comes, you're going to see that. The revival fires in Uganda, 150 years ago. The first Christians were martyred. Powerful. Now there are 10 million worshipers every Sunday after 150 years. 30 million in Nigeria. Ladies and gentlemen, very interesting when you read a chapter, uh, some literature about the East African revival. It's always the same. They stood there before God. And they told the Lord, we are a desert. We are a cemetery. We are a dead sea, and we cannot live that way any longer. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes. He will convict us of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment. We live in an ocean of wrath. Think of the flood. Think of the exile. Think of AD 70 hopefully on an island of peace. And that's the church. Qualitative plus. The desert will turn into a fertile field, not just a few strips. 
The cemetery will turn into a maternity ward, not just a few clinics. And the Dead Sea will turn into a freshwater lake, not just a few. A little bit here, a little bit there. That's the promise of the Almighty God. There is also a principial plus. How is that going to take place? Through the sowing of the seed. You sow, you, you, you sow, uh, put the seed everywhere. On the, on the pathway, on the rocky ground, under the thorns and the thistles. Now, why do you do that? Because if you do it everywhere, you touch all the good soils. Not everything will, um, not everything will, um, will bear fruit everywhere. What is the principal plus? It's the sowing of the seed. And very interestingly enough, in the fourth uh, or fifth chapter of uh, Acts, um, the apostles were beaten to a, uh, were, were kicked out of the Sanhedrin before they were beaten to a pulp, and they stayed in the temple, and they went from house to house, and they were told, you filled Jerusalem with the word of God. And I believe that is what the principal plus is all about. You, you cover it with, with the word of God, and you do it properly. You know, you don't, you don't do it properly. And that's why J. Adams says, one of, I um, wrote my book on counseling because the counseling was terrible. But now I'm going to write a book on preaching because the preaching is even worse. And my daughter once said, uh, uh, there's no Holy Spirit in this church. And I said, why not? I said, nobody talks about the Word. They talk about everything under the sun. And I said, my dear, to my regret, many sermons, there's not much to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, and then, and then the, after the Principia Plus, you have the Strategic Plus. Now, I tell people when the Holy Spirit comes down upon the Lord Jesus, he's like the water tower. And as the Spirit of fullness comes upon Jesus, the Spirit of truth comes upon the disciples, and they prove the pipeline from the, water, uh, from the water tower, namely the Word of God. And then it comes into a reservoir, and that is the church. And the church goes into the world as an irrigation system, and the individual believers are the irrigation system. So you have the, whole, the Holy Spirit in its, fullness, the full, in its fullness, the Spirit of fullness comes upon Jesus, the water tower over the whole world. The Spirit of truth comes upon the apostles, and they produce the pipeline, namely the Word of God. Uh, the reservoir is the church. The Holy Spirit comes down in the church. And then it has to go into the world, and it is because of the individual Christians wherever they go. And when you take a look at uh, Acts 1 through 12, the, that's the congregation in uh, Jerusalem was started by the apostles, no doubt about it. But the congregation in Antioch was started by the ordinary believers. There was a spontaneous evangelism. And therefore, we need an ecclesiastical culture of spontaneous kingdom evangelism. And, and that can only be done by the presence of the Holy Spirit. If we, if we can grieve him, we can quench him, we can insult him, all biblical terminology, and we can simply ignore him, neglect him. 
I asked the Pentecostal pastor in uh, western Uganda, eastern Uganda, I said, have you ever said good morning to the Holy Spirit? He said, no. I said, well, then you have no transportation today. Next day I said, did you good morning to the Holy Spirit? He said, uh, I forgot. The next morning I said, did you say good morning to the Holy Spirit? He said, not yet. I phoned him from the United States. Are you saying good morning to the Holy Spirit? He said, uh, every day. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes I forget. I am honest with you. But if I don't have the Holy Spirit, I have no transportation. Without Jesus, I cannot do anything. I must abide in the vine. But he must also fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I say the Holy Spirit must be in you because you have indwelling sin and you can only offset that by the in-indwelling Holy Spirit. Indwelling sin in Romans 7, in-indwelling Holy Spirit in Romans 8. Amazing. And I say it's like the Chernobyl plant. That's what we are. That's what, that's what indwelling sin is all about. The Chernobyl plant. It radiates destruction everywhere. And the only way to do it is to put a containment building around the plant. And when the Russians uh, uh, put the containment building there for 5,000 laborers, they all, they all died because of the radiation. And now it began to break up again, and they put a new dome around it. Now, the only way for my indwelling sin not to radiate junk is when I am filled with the Holy Spirit and full of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I produce trouble, 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 trouble. And we find it in ourselves, we find it in our marriages, we find it in our families, we find it in our business, we find it in our nation, we find it everywhere. The only way, ladies and gentlemen, is for the Spirit of God to come. Now that is the first start. That is where it starts, the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit who cannot be grieved, quenched, or insulted, or neglected, and we can only have him in us upon repentance and forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when that is there, I'm just going to mention to you the marks. I end up with the last mark, and then we cover some issues in between. When the Holy Spirit is there, it is mighty presence of the Holy Spirit in mighty prayer, in mighty preaching, in mighty conversions, in mighty assemblies, in mighty holiness. That's why they come to church. In mighty generosity. All in Acts 1 through 12, it's specifically in Acts 2, 42 to 47. Mighty evangelism, wherever they went, they talked about Jesus. Mighty impact on society, you filled Jerusalem with the name of Jesus. Under mighty leadership, James, Peter, Paul, in mighty combat, all in mighty pursuit of the grand command, namely making disciples. That is the command. And the two sub-elements, baptizing them, and then teaching them to observe. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced that the only reason why this world exists, according to Revelation 5, is because God says, I am going to get myself a bride for my son. And the son says, thank you, Father, let me take care of their production on the cross and in the resurrection. And the Holy Spirit says, don't leave me out. I am going to transport whatever the Father promises and whatever the Lord Jesus produced. In Revelation 5, when the, the scroll and the seven seals could not be opened up, it is the, the book of the history of the world, and uh, nobody can bail us out and can open up the future of the world. Uh, we already saw that in the flood, everything was drowned, everyone was drowned, and everything was, was, taken, was removed. When Noah opened the ark, he didn't see anybody and he didn't see anything. Without God, there's no future. Now, are we going to continue the world? Are we going to continue bankruptcy, utter bankruptcy? I'm sorry I made you. And nobody can bail us out. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Not in heaven, not under heaven, not in between. Except the lion lamb. And he bails us out by dying and producing a church. And so in my Rock-like conviction, the only reason why God has his world continue is because he wants to get a church out of Houston, out of Africa, out of Belize, out of everywhere. That's the only reason why this world exists. And therefore, the only reason why the church exists, while the world is the spawning ground for new Christians, the church must make it the fishing ground of new Christians. Make disciples of all the nations. I cannot define the disciple. Oh, that's awesome. That's evangelism. I don't like evangelism and discipleship because an evangelism is toned down. No, it is making disciples and teaching disciples because the disciple is a learner. So when people in my uh, ministry call on the name of the Lord, and they don't come to church. And the next Sunday, I said, what is happening to a little baby when it's born? The first thing, it cries. Why does it cry? I don't know. Well, because it's hungry. You give the breast to the child, and the, ch and the baby is no longer hungry. It's happy. So if you bury a baby Christian, and you're not hungry for the word, reading it, and go to church, you're stillborn. But when you go to church, you're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the Lord's Prayer, Lord's Supper, and the Lord's, and the Lord's Prayer in Acts 2.42. And then when you abide in the vine, you produce fruit. Praise the Lord. Now can I be assured because I bear fruit. And then you share with others, productive, because you want to pass it on. And when you get the gift, you become unstoppable. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the hot pursuit of the great, the grand command of making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as the new covenant God, Trinitarian God. And then you teach them to observe from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And uh, making disciples takes place under the leadership of evangelists. 
and uh, teaching to observe takes place under the leadership of the pastor teacher. And the deacon is the quartermaster of the church. He wants to make sure that the evangelist can do his work and that pastor teacher can do his work. And if there are me members of the congregation who uh, are, are not viable uh, financially, uh, then uh, the deacon makes sure that they uh, have a living wage, not just uh, so that it can be self-sustaining, not just because they want to belong to the, so that you know you belong to the family of God on an equal basis. No, you can go shoulder to shoulder with the evangelist, with the pastor, teaching the deacon to begin to minister in, um, in, 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 in the church. That, ladies and gentlemen, is all part of the grand command. But now, there are ten elements in the beginning, in the middle. Pray. Uh, the other day I heard a message by Adrian Rogers and I heard a message by Tony Evans. And he said, uh, what do you do when you want to stay alive? You breathe. What? <laughs> breathe. You don't have to be told to breathe. You breathe. So you don't have to be told to pray. You pray. Daniel prayed for 12 hours. Dan and Nehemiah prayed for many days. The disciples prayed for 10 days. And Lady Anna, when she was widowed, she may have been 34 years old because she was married seven years. And if she had, was married when she was 27, I tell you, I was late. And now we meet her, she's 84. And only one man said to me, do you know how long um, uh, Anna prayed? He said, what do you think? He said, for 50 years, he said, you know, I came to the same conclusion. She was homeless, she went to the temple. She was foodless, she fasted. And she went sleepless, she prayed day and night. And Adrian Rother says, if you see Peter in prison and the people pray, they pray all night. They pray fervently. They prayed in faith. And they pray in the church, the fellowship. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. When I hear those men, Tony Evans, John MacArthur, and uh, Adrian Rogers, I may not agree in everything they are saying, but I tell you, they open the word and you stand there before God. And you say, Lord, what am I doing here? What am I doing? Anemic, anemia, the family. Individuals, the church, society. I see more desert, I see more uh, cemeteries, and I may see, see more Dead Sea than I see fertile fields, clinics, uh, maternity hospitals, freshwater lakes. Wow. Uh, one of the finest uh, books on prayer is Austin Phelps, The Still Hour. Buy it, buy it, buy it. When he talks about anemia, he said most people are like a painted boat on a painted ocean. <laughs> they look nice on the outside, but they are not moving, and nothing moves. <sighs> Why do you think you have a president to come in the White House who brazenly 
defies God when he, God says it, homosexuality is the second phase of my judgment, and he says, uh, no, 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 no. If you don't want to go the homosexual route, you won't get paid. It looks like the people, if you don't have the mark of the beast in your forehead, <laughs> you don't get paid, you see. So where do you think that comes from? The war revival fires in the Middle East. Gone. Islam took over. Revival fires in Europe. Atheistic secularism took over. Revival fires in the United States. Godless humanism takes over. Now when I ask my people who's stronger, Jesus or Islam? Jesus. Jesus or secularism? Jesus. Jesus or humanism? Jesus. Why doesn't that show? Why does that show? Well, the only answer I have is uh, Revelation 2 and 3. If you uh, become loveless, I'm out of here. If you are li lifeless, it's over. If you are listless, I spew you out. And so I believe it is the judgment of God. And if you have never been on that height, you can have schools and you can have conferences on revitalization. And I laugh at them on the one hand, and I am sad on the other hand, because the people who listen to those conferences have never experienced those heights. And so all they go back to is the old status quo that was there before um, homosexuality and transgenderism, etc., uh, entered into the church. And they go back to a previous phase, but that is not the revival phase. I cannot see it in any other way. And then we get to pray. And people say, concerts of prayer. We must have concerts of prayer. And I know that a revival came to New York by prayer. Absolutely. But it's not enough. When you take a look at the apostle in Acts 2, you see mighty preaching. And if you analyze, in my homiletics courses, I always analyze Peter's sermon. I, first of all, I thought it was a foolish sermon because he talks about everything under the sun, the psalmist, and blah, 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 blah. I said, Lord, at one time I said, I think I could be, preach a better sermon than Peter. But then I began to analyze it. Mother, they shrank the kids. I became a dwarf. He takes Joel. This is the theme. This are the... the the, um, the outline, and now I'm going to preach it. And that's what I teach my students in homiletics. Get the theme. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and that's your purpose in preaching. And go with Daphne. I want you to take action. And these are the elements that you find in the text. It's the day of the Holy Spirit, the day of extraordinary things, Jesus of Nazareth. It's the day of the Lord. He came out of the grave, Psalm. In the, and he's in the heavens, psalmist. Fit look at like a tea. But it was also it's also it was also um, uh, cutting. Their hearts were cut. The Holy Spirit will convict. It was convicting. He said, "Jesus of Nazareth, you killed him. He came out of the grave in heaven. You killed him." And their hearts were cut. What must we do? Repent. Get a new heart. Under the forgiveness of sins. And you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. You end up by where we are. We are with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Awesome, ladies and gentlemen. That is preaching. That is preaching.
And then you have 3,000 conversions at that, at that moment. Every time that you find uh, revival fires burning, whether it was in the Middle East, whether it was in Europe, whether it was in the United States, whether it's in um, uh, Uganda, whether it's in Nigeria, whether it's in, um, in, in Korea, there are always between five and 10 million people were converted in a hundred plus years, always. And they all came to church the next Sunday, mighty assemblies. All 3,000 people came together. And the book of Hebrews says, some of you don't come together again. Wrong, 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 wrong. You see, there you already saw some of the, the downslide. Now, when uh, you have today's crusades, I mean, you have 3,000 people coming forward. Logistics, statistics tell us that only 150 people end up in the church. And when C. Stanley Jones saw 30%, he said, Lord, what did I do wrong? Is it possible that I did do something wrong with my message? And he said, yes. Yes. Accept Jesus, no repentance, no holiness. I've got to repent. I've got to be more honest. And when I share the gospel with people, I tell the people, you have three problems. Your heart is like a cobra, your past is like dung, and your life is like poison. Of course, I do it much more slowly. And I, I said it to the, 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 the commanding general of the Ugandan army. He heard me preach. I said, General, I don't want to offend you, but... Uh, you're not gonna make it. And when he invited me, one of the first things he said, uh, I'm not born again. So I shared that in the sermon that I, because it was a funeral sermon for the son of another general who came to know Jesus through my ministry. I said, this young man has the heart of Jesus. This young man has the righteousness of Jesus. This young man has the holiness of Jesus. Because he got a wake-up call when he nearly died in, a, in, in an accident. And, so, and, I, and I told the people, 500 people were there, the big wigs of society, all the general, generals of general staff, members of parliament. And I said, to, and the general said, you're going to preach a sermon? He said, no, 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 I'm a white man. I cannot do that. I said, you're not a white man. You're his godfather. You do it. He said, okay. I said, uh, the young man got a wake-up call. You didn't, you didn't get a wake-up call, right, generals? The right uh, uh, members of parliament? I said, sorry, this sermon is your wake-up call. This young man has a, has a midday ascension taken to the presence of God. A midday, noonday ascension. If you have a nightfall Descension. You're not going to make it. You need to call on the name of the Lord. The general did. You've got to be honest. Then mighty holiness, you come to church. Why do you come to church? To worship. No, you come to worship in the splendor of holiness. So every time you come out of the church, you must, be, you must aim to be a little bit more holy. You must be hungry to be a little bit more holy. And that's the case in the early church. And Martin Lloyd-Jones could testify to that. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones says, when I uh, started uh, to preach, the people said, we want more. I put it in a Friday night. You see, hungry. And I had my converts in California. They would never miss the church service. The mighty generosity. They sold their possessions. Mighty evangelism. I'm doing it quickly because uh, I'm running out of time. Mighty evangelism. I cannot talk about evangelism at length. I have schools of evangelism all over the world. And uh, uh, one-third in the classroom, two-thirds in the field. If you don't go into the field, you will never learn it as the Lord Jesus looks as. I want to talk to you about Jesus, the first treatise. I talked about him and what he began to do and teach, show and tell. If a seminary doesn't show what it tells, then it has a problem. We love seminaries, but it doesn't mean that there are no problems. Impact on society. Um, 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 what was his name again? He was the... Uh, he was a lawyer of uh, Nixon, uh, Colson. He's, he came to us in uh, Covenant College, and he says, when there is no impact on society, there is no revival. At one time, we were not, we were not in a majority. We told people, close all your businesses, and they did. <laughs> now, only uh, uh, that Chick-fil-A does it, you, and all the others uh, are opening up. Under mighty leaders, James, Peter, Paul, in mighty combat. That's why I agree, I believe that Paul was right. Now, Barnabas spruced John Mark up. But Paul was right. He said, hey, you don't want to be in combat. When we go into the, into the, uh, into the fire, we want people who are willing to die for the cause. The fellowship of his suffering and the conformity to his death. And if you don't show that, show it first and I will take you again. And Barnabas said, well, we'll go and take him anyway because he was his nephew. And uh, of course, Barnabas did a fantastic job because he slowly brought him back to health. So we are very thankful about it. But I still, still believe that the Apostle Paul was correct. Do you know that all those disciples, all those apostles, the Lord Jesus says, as the Father sent me to my death, I sent you to yours. I mentioned that to Robert McQuilkin. I said, how about, how about my, my take? And he's a, Robert McQuilkin, was a, he wrote a book, The Great Omission, you know, because he is a very much of a mission, missionary-minded man, a mission-minded man. And uh, I said, uh, as the, uh, the Lord Jesus says, as the Father sent me to my death, I sent you to your death, because unless the seed dies, it cannot produce fruit. And Peter, you're going to die. And he said, uh, may I borrow that from you? He said, no, if you believe it's the Bible, you tell us it's in the Bible, not because I, I share it with you. If you don't want to die, and uh, that was the wife of, um, of uh, Joseph Tson. Joseph Tson was going to go um, preach in, outside of the church after seven years in, Roma in Romania, preaching in the church, and it was freedom of religion in the church, but out of the church, it is treason. And he said to his wife, uh, I've been preaching here for three, seven, nine years, and uh, the word of God is bound, and the word of God is not bound. I must step outside, even if nobody listens. I said, but I prayed for, for three weeks, and I want you to pray for three weeks as well. I want you to tell me. But better you can be willing to support me. 
After two weeks, uh, the little lady, I, I met her personally, and uh, she, they share that. Uh, uh, she, she said, Joseph, I do not need three weeks. I believe you've got to go outside. The word of God is not bound. And as he walked out, she looked back at him and said, oh, incidentally, Joseph, if you do not uh, step outside, I'll shove you outside. And so I tell my uh, male students, if you want to... Uh, propose marriage to a young lady, you ask her, are you willing to shove me to my death for the sake of Jesus? And if she says no, you tell, tell her, I'll find somebody else. <laughs> but that's mighty combat. If you think of the early goings in Uganda, oh, oh, combat. Combat. I, a little combat. I should have been, I should have, been killed twice in Uganda, but it was little. And not even for the sake of Jesus, you know. It's just, but that's what Jesus did, and C.T. Studd said, if Jesus died for me, no sacrifice is too much for me. And somebody said, uh, I, resent, I resent that because he was away from his wife for 12 years in, in the UK. I said, you know what his wife said uh, in her diary? I have determined never to show my husband a sad face so as not to impinge upon his ministry. And that is a perfect marriage. Now, I'm not saying that you should follow suit, but, and the lady who uh, was resentful, she said to me, I lost all my resentment. Like I saw a man and a woman. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I saw a revival man. I saw a revival woman. Now, I've given you the, now come at the definition, all right? The definition is that <clears throat> biblical revival is the experienced, enjoyed, celebrated, displayed, and spreading presence of the matchless glory of the triune God that is rooted in his amazing grace and mercy and accompanies the salvation that he gives us in regeneration and in justification and sanctification. And if you want to have uh, biblical proof for that, you go to Psalm 85. I'm running out of time. And I wanted to give you the total picture before I would go into many details, exegetical details, because I only have an hour. But this is monumental. It doesn't come out of the present. You, put it, you bring it up out of the present yourself mechanically. Finny. You don't just get it out of the future. Sovereignty. No, no, no. It comes out of the past. Are we having those streams of living water flowing forth us? If we have them, we have only got to thank sovereignty. If we don't have them, we have only ourselves to blame and we have to repent. You gave me an hour, I took an hour. Can you take a few questions? Absolutely. I gave you an hour. That is my responsibility. The, qu the time for the questions is your responsibility. We won't go long. Uh, we have 
But I want you to give your name on that piece of paper. I'll send you the 89 pages, and you can begin to absorb it. And I hope you're going to make it your own. And uh, if you want to be trained in uh, evangelism, we have three-week program in Uganda every January. Uh, we had uh, 24 people last January. Powerful. People went home, fill, full, filled with the Spirit of God, ready to move because we trained them in the field. And so we would like to have young people, seminarians, college students, pastors who, who have never been um, uh, trained in doing evangelism. So if you, and we will, I'm willing to, I've raised $10,000 for one team and uh, somebody else gave me 25000 so I'm willing to s support it, even out of my own money, because this is the need of the church. We must grow evangelists who use gifted people to, to put the army in the field. And that, of course, is the strategic plus that you find in the New Testament. If you have students in your seminary, you ask them, do you want to go out in uh, January? And we can talk. And we would like to see a whole generation of uh, soldiers who can become captains. And uh, if they're not captains, soldiers, everybody does it. They're sergeants, they're the gifted, and they're captains, and they are the leaders. Question. We are sanctified by the Word and by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses the Word to sanctify us. Now, if we don't see that the Word tells us that evangelism is part of our sanctification, we won't do it. So the Word tells us it's part of our sanctification because it's a command. 
And therefore, we pray for the Holy Spirit to give us power to be holy, including evangelism. Uh, you see, evangelism is making disciples through the Holy Spirit and um, teaching them to observe is sanctifying uh, disciples. And so when you uh, go to the Lord's Prayer, uh, you say, Lord, put a canopy of your name over this whole earth. And your kingdom come and regenerate people. Your will be done, sanctify people. You see, you start with regeneration um, in your evangelism, and then you get forgiveness, and then uh, you also have uh, holiness. And in my estimation, um, I like the word accomplishment and ap application, but they are a little bit trite in the... Uh, they sometimes don't have enough context, so I prefer to say it's promised, produced, and personalized, uh, you see, or transported by the Holy Spirit. More graphic, that people uh, wake, up, wake up to that. Uh, but it's the, the totality is promised by the Father, the totality is produced by the Son, and the totality is transported or personalized by the Holy Spirit. So that is why I say that the Old Testament is the book of the Father. There you see the totality of the Father. It's put in the Son. And uh, the Lord Jesus uh, says, the Holy Spirit will take it out of me because what is in me is what the Father has put in me. And he then gives it to you. And then when he gives it to you, we are back to the Father. And eventually the Lord Jesus is also going back to the Father because all the, all the authority that he gives to the Son he returns to the Father, and therefore God is all in all. Is that an, uh, uh, somewhat of an answer? Yeah, I just, I wanted to get this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people uh, prefer Matthew 28 or to make it, they feel more comfortable saying make disciples based on doctrine and theology, I guess, rather than Mark 16 and Luke 24, more, more than preach the gospel, make disciples. It seems like a lot of people want to be, they're more comfortable kind of making disciples. They wonder if Matthew 28, uh, so the, the word disciple, I guess, is confusing a lot of people. Because, I, I, you know, you're saying the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, and they're making disciples. He, he does, Jesus clearly says, teach them, teach them what I well, I agree that uh, the word disciple sometimes confuses people because people never explain it. Yeah. And you have to explain it. So the Lord Jesus says make disciples, and Luke says that's how you do it. Yeah. You call repentance under the forgiveness of sins, and then the Apostle Paul says, and then be sanct and then be part of the people who are sanctified. So the Apostle Paul in Acts 26 adds the word sanctification there uh, uh, in, in the footsteps of Luke. And that is why I tell people, be a biblical theologian, show, show the contours of the progress. But if you are not a systematic theologian, you're a fool, because systematic theology, they gives all the aspects of the Word of God and brings it together. So if you're not a systematic theologian, you're going to be truncated in the first place, because you say, because you look 24, uh, you forgive, uh, re uh, repent unto the forgiveness of sins, and Luke doesn't mention sanctification. Well, the Apostle Paul says, Christ died for my sin, and it's the gospel, and, um, and uh, uh, one of the men in Westminster says, that is not exclusive. While Paul says it in that particular point, there are other aspects 
uh, that you have to put together. See, I preach the cross, I preach the cross. And uh, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, I preach the cross. But in 1 Corinthians 15, I preach the, uh, the, I preach the, the resurrection. I see we, and Luke says, you've got to preach twice, both. And I see again and again, I only preach the cross. I only preach the cross. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, you're not a systematic theologian. You don't, you don't put all the, the pieces together that God puts in his word. And uh, um, you, you live of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And you, you put it together. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> we lost an odd part of an audience. Would you like to pray for us? I would love to pray. Father God, at the beginning we prayed, and we come in all humility and with a broken heart. Because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, not only the unbeliever, but also the believer. And James is very clear about it. You adulterers and adulterers, do you not know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Submit yourself to God and resist the devil. And seek the face of God, and he will flee from you. And recognize your wretchedness, and let your joy turn into mourning, into the tears. Humble yourself before God, and he will lift you up. Father God, we cannot even humble ourselves. And I thank you for that lady, Basileia Schlink. He said, repentance unto the joyful life. And when I began to recognize that I had to repent, I also recognized, in one, in, in one instance, I also recognized that I couldn't even give myself repentance. So, Lord, it has become abundantly clear. We must believe in your sovereignty of you, through you, and unto you are all things. And so I ask you, Lord, when we hear the word of God, that we will take action in repentance, in forgiveness, and in holiness. Give that to the church. When we think of our culture, at one time it was a thriving culture of sorts, of course. But it was. And we are fearful for our children and our grandchildren. People in the Middle East, Lord, Athanasius, he never knew, he never, he never dawned on him that his children and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren would turn into Muslims. And Calvin and Luther, they couldn't even have envisioned that their great-great-grandchildren would turn into secularists. And Americans could not have understood, John Hancock, that the great-great-grandchildren who turn into godless humanists. And so, Lord, wake us up, wake us up, wake us up, wake us up. And humble us, and we have to humble ourselves, but we cannot even humble ourselves. And I see that in my own life. And I ask you for forgiveness, Lord, that I don't look at the cross sufficiently, because that is going to humble us. And the resurrection is going to humble us. Our old life must be killed on the cross. And our new life must come out of the grave. Otherwise, we'll never have it. And so, Lord, we ask you that you'll strengthen us as we go out. Give us a new presence of the spirit of the living God. And when we go out, hear us, Lord. 
when we think, O oh Father, of the governor of Cyprus. They asked Paul to come. When I think of the commanding general, he asked me to come. Now that is sovereignty. And I ask you, O oh Lord, that that will happen even when we share the gospel in this area, in any area. That you will touch their lives, Lord, and have them come to us. Tell us about it. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't go out. But if we, he, we see that, we know those are your gifts to us. And Lord, we know that the Father gave the elect to the Son. And the Son gives them to us. Oh, my God, what a privilege it is to be used in bringing oh, even one person from darkness into everlasting light. And let us understand that this world has no independent purpose, so we should not love the world. And if we want to be friends of the world, we are your enemies. Let us recognize that the only thing that counts for the church is to make disciples. That's the only reason why this world exists, to bring glory to you through the bride of Jesus. And when we think, O oh Lord, of Revelation 4, 5, there's the Father in his glory and we worship him. There's the Son in his glory and we worship him even more according to Revelation 5. But in the middle of 4 and 5, there is the Holy Spirit who stands there, is there before the throne of the Father and who is there also sent out by the Son into the world. Lord God Almighty, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Please, please, please. Give us the fullness that we even are willing to part with our money and our possessions and our, and our, and, and, and our life, Lord. Give that to us, Lord, please, 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 please. Because that's the only way we're going to get a, a crop coming out of this world. 3,000 in one day. Lord, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Let us not be filled with shame in the day of judgment. But have, give us your stamp of approval. In Jesus' name, amen.